Once again, we apologize, but the beginning of this message has been lost due to technical difficulties. We will be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 this morning. And Pastor Spence will be preaching on the design of God for the family. We hope this message is an edification to your soul and your spirit, and you enjoy the remainder of this message. God bless. How it is that we as a church look to the home, encourage the home, support the home, and structure the home. So just like last week, Paul gives us this whole passage laid out. We didn't go through it verse by verse, if you will. But I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. I'm going to read these first four verses, and then I want to back up. And I just want to pick this apart. And specifically, I want to show you three aspects that God has put into the design. Three aspects that are relevant and applicable to our homes today. So in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, this is what Paul writes. He says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May God add understanding and application to his word this morning. Three aspects that I want to point you to that has to deal with the home today. And the first aspect is this. That God has designed a family by God. Now I realize it doesn't say there in the first verse. He just plunges straight into the idea that he's saying children obey your parents. But if you think back when Paul was originally writing this. There wasn't the chapter divisions. There weren't the verse divisions. He is writing this as one continuous letter. So as he begins this next kind of subject if you will. Talking about the children. What Paul has in mind is that there is not just a marriage between a man and a woman. We talked about that last week. But he has this in mind that there is a family unit that he is referencing. And this family unit. It was not by accident. This family unit was created by God. In other words, God created the family. And because God created the family, God then has a design for the family. A lot of times we come into this thing called, the, called our lives and we forget that God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a structure. God has a design for everything that we do. We don't have to wake up and wonder what should my family look like? How should my family act? How should my family behave? How should I treat my wife? How should I treat my children? How should they, how should they treat me? God has already laid it out and said, this is what I want you to do. I remember having our first children and Jaylene and I, we were so proud and we were so excited and you're sitting there in the living room and the child is born and they give you this APGAR score. And already they're starting this competition. So they say, well, we're going to score them based upon how uh, lively he is, based upon his color, his temperature, all these things that they're going to identify and say, on a scale of 1 to 10, how does he rank? And I'm like, who cares? (laughs) He's like two hours out of the womb and you're already trying to put standards on this child. Who cares? But they already have set it up that, oh, well, you, hey, parent, you want to have the high score. And I have no doubt in the next 30 days, if Lord willing, we find ourselves in that same delivery room and they come out that same app God score, they're going to have some way to say, evaluate to say whether it's good or bad. And you start to think, well, you know what? Maybe they know something that I need to listen to. I'm going to tell you this morning, God has designed the family and we don't need to worry about what they're saying. He scores on app God score or what he does on the projectiles or what he does on the, the height and weight. All we need to ask ourselves 
ourselves, God, what do you want this child to be? And God has designed our families. God has designed your marriages. God has designed our family. And God has designed us with a purpose. You think back to Genesis 1 and verse 28. And God looks at Adam and says, go forth, multiply and fill the earth. You skip back forward to Genesis 9 and verse 1 when he's talking to Noah and his sons. as They're stepping off the ark and he tells them the same thing. Go forth and multiply. What is God saying? God is saying, I have sovereignty over the family. Now, why is that so foundational? Why do I stress this so much? Because so many times we need to remember and we need to tell other people, the decision is not up to you. The decision is up to God. Because God is sovereign over everything. So what we do with our lives is ultimately God's decision. And what we do with our children is ultimately God's decision. I realize that they have been entrusted to you, but I'm going to tell you that Jalen and I have four and a half boys right now, and, and really, they have been entrusted to us. They are not mine. They are not hers. God has entrusted children to us. God has entrusted children to this church. God has entrusted children to the families represented in this church. And we need to understand and we need to remember that when it comes to the rearing, when it comes to the discipline and instruction of the children, we are not deciding what we think is best. We are looking to God and saying, God, what do you say is best? And that's fundamentally different than what the world is saying today. Because what the world is saying today is we know the answers. We have all the solutions. Just pay attention to us. So they have all these different educational... I'm going to keep going. So, but the idea that we need to understand that this family is by God. So Paul has this in mind when he starts to write to the children and the parents. He wants to make very clear that they understand that this, this family is not man's idea. This was not man's creation. It was by God. And so when he starts there in verse 1, he starts addressing the children. He has some authority because he's saying, you need to understand this is God's design for you. And what does he say? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. The second aspect that I want you to see is that children are in submission to God. The children are in submission to God. Now, I I assume that you've probably heard this verse misinterpreted, misapplied. I'm sure you've probably heard parents look at their children and say, you're supposed to obey me. And the, the child is supposed to obey you. But notice, the, notice how the language is said. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. See, what you're wanting in and what the goal is for the children to be in submission to God. Now, when the children are in submission to God, the children will be in submission to their parents. And they will be in submission to the other adults that God has put into their life. But ultimately, the goal is for the children to be submission in submission to God. It's not a matter of me walking around and saying, well, I am King Spence or I am Ruler Spence or everybody, all my children must serve and worship me. That is not the point. The point is for the children to understand that when they obey and when they serve and when they honor, they are ultimately doing it for the glory of God. Now notice what Paul does not say here in this passage. He doesn't say that children and parents must always agree. Eli's 13. And it's coming. And I know some of you in this room are going, he just wait. <laughs> Denise is just sitting back. She just can't wait. Just can't wait for those teenagers to start cropping up on our radar. And some of you are looking around going, yeah, he's in for a rude awakening. Oh, he's in for an education. And I know that I don't know what I don't know. I get that. 
you know what I'm okay with? I'm okay with us not always agreeing. I don't expect our children, I don't expect any of you for us always to agree, but we can be unified in the Spirit of God. We don't always have to agree with ourselves. We don't always have to agree with our spouses, but we can be in agreement in God. And so he tells the children, children, obey your parents. But then he goes on and he brings in verse number two and he says, honor your father and your mother. Now this is a reference back to Exodus 20 and verse 12. When you get to the fifth or when you get to the commandment, when Jesus looks at those children, looks at that nation of Israel and says, honor your father and your mother. And so that's what Paul references right here in verse two when he says this is the first commandment with a promise. Why? Because back in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, when he gives the commandment, he tells them why it matters and why they should follow that commandment. He says there in verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He's making this connection that when you do it God's way, when you follow God's plan, when you serve in God's design, God has a way of blessing obedience. Now I'm not saying a name and a claim and I'm not saying that you just have to believe it and it will be true. I'm just saying that God has a way of blessing obedience. So he looks at the children. Paul is writing to the children and he says, I want you to understand that you are to obey your parents and you're to honor your father and your mother. But what I want to be quick to point out is honor is not a result of merit. Because I know that some young people today have some parents that haven't made the best decisions. Some people come from abusive homes. People come from neglected families. Some people come from environments that they were not loved the way they should have been loved. They were not cared for the way they should have been cared for. Some people grew up very being, being very resentful, being very discouraged, being very angry at the parental figures in their life. And some people may come to this text and say, Spence, do you know how hard it would be to honor that person because of what they have done to me or because what they didn't do for me? Or they come in with all of these, all this bitterness and all this anger and, and, and all these hurt feelings. And in no way am I saying, well, that doesn't matter. In no way am I saying that isn't true. In no way am I neglecting or... Uh, ignoring what you are dealing with if that is you this morning. But what I will tell you is that honor is not necessarily a matter of merit. It's not because they deserve it. It's because you are going to honor them as an obedience to God. There's going to be times that you're just going to say, you know what, I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing this for God. And there's ways that you can honor them without affirming their wrong. There's ways that you can honor them without agreeing with their mistakes. There's ways that you can honor them without always identifying and saying this was right or this was okay. So Paul makes it very clear that children are to, in, are to be in submission to God. And what that means is, is that he is reminding us that this picture of submission, it is learned. It's not my default. It's not automatic. It's learned. Whenever I was in high school, our family had show animals. Now, we didn't do the goats or the sheep, but we had a couple of head of beef and mostly hogs. And every single one of those animals, when you'd be raising up those animals, you had to break the animals. 
It wasn't natural for a pig to just go and sit in a pen and then get out of the pen and walk to this next holding pen and then to walk in the show and always have the best side showing the judge and always to walk with its head up and always to walk slowly and always to move deliberately around the show ring. It wasn't natural for that, that, that beef animal to come in there and to stand just right and have its feet positioned just right and to be led around by a halter. That stuff was not natural. You had to teach the animal what you wanted it to do. We have a lot of parents today that think that these children are going to grow up teaching themselves how to be adults. And I want you to know this morning that the Bible never tells us that's the way it works. The Bible always makes it very clear that children are learning from those around them. So either the children are going to learn from you or the children are going to learn from their, co- their peers at school. The children are going to learn from their teachers. The children are going to learn from Spongebob. The children are going to learn from Dora. The children are going to learn from somewhere else in something else in this world. Why not learn from you? But oh, Spence, you don't understand. I'm not qualified. That's not my decision. That's not my quality. That's not where I'm at. See, it's the public school's responsibility to teach my children. It's the Sunday school teacher's job to teach my children. It's the preacher's job to teach my children. I am not responsible for my children. I want you to know that this morning that God gets here in his word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wants to make it very clear that if your children are going to learn to follow after God, it's going to be because you taught them. The Wall Builders video that I think you all have been watching on Wednesday night when he's talking about running to the roar. He had a whole discussion in there uh, about how they are reviewing the curriculum that is taking place right now in California and Texas because those are the two primary most populous places. And so your main curriculum producers, publishers, if you will, they, uh, I, I guess, uh, put their standards around those two states and the, the educational standards. And so right now they're questioning whether they're going to take major tenets of our history, major tenets of our creation story, major tenets of what we consider to be true if they're going to take them out of curriculum and not teach them at all. Which is why you can go to the schoolhouse today and find many things that are being passed as truth that contradicts the word of God. And we think our children are going to somehow accidentally grow up and have a devotion and a commitment to God that we never taught them, that we never demonstrated before them, and that we never showed them to have. And then they're growing up and wondering what's happening to our children. Why is the largest missing segment in the church today 18 to 25? Why do we see on such a grand scale these young people, they graduate high school, they go off to college, and they're gone. And we wonder what happened to them. I'm going to tell you they were never taught how to love and serve God when they were here. So why are they going to love and serve God when they're not here? Because we never taught them what it looks like to submit to God. And I know that you may teach your children how to fish. You may teach your children how to hunt. You may teach your children a hobby. You may teach your children how to catch a ball. You may teach your child how to do a particular profession. But I'm going to tell you, brother, sister, I'm going to tell you, husband, father, I'm going to tell you, mother, wife, I'm going to tell you that the greatest thing that you can do as a parent in this world today is to teach your children how to fear God. And that is missing. Because too few of parents fear God today. So Paul wants to make very clear that when it comes to this passage that Paul has in view that there's a family that is put there by 
God. And within that family, you have children in submission to God. And not just there, but then you have the final aspect starting there in verse 4. And that you have parents that are looking to God. Now he says father here in the passage, but it's not to the neglect of the mother. Not to the neglect of the woman. He is talking about the parental unit. Now we talked about last week how as if you think about the home as being the church. And the head of the church being Jesus Christ. So therefore in the home today, the husband is to be the head of the house or the head of the marriage. And so there's a spiritual responsibility upon men, upon husbands, and upon fathers to lead their homes. So Paul is making this emphasis when he looks and he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now that's another verse that's been misabused. That's another verse that's been maligned where the children look at the parent and say, You're not supposed to make me angry. <sighs> that's not what it says. <laughs> It says that I'm not provoked them to anger. Now what does that mean? Well, some commentators would say that if you have a child that is in submission to God, that a child that is willing, a child that that is willing to do whatever you tell them to do, they're in somewhat of a vulnerable situation. And so sometimes you may have adults that might seek to abuse their position. They might seek to abuse their authority. They might seek to abuse the power that they have to make these children do things that they shouldn't do, which causes resentment and anger and all kind of bitterness to arise. In other words, abuse of power should never be understood. It's never one of those things that we come upon a parent that abused their child, neglected their child, uh, mistreated their child, and we don't say, well, I understand where they got that from. It's never okay to abuse anyone. And that's what Paul is trying to get at. Paul is trying to say, fathers, you need to be careful that when it comes to your discipline, when it comes to your instruction, as we're going to see in a minute, when it comes to how you father in the home, you need to understand what the motivation is behind your actions. You all probably have those family members that like to pick. Probably have a coworker, maybe one or two that likes to poke the buttons. The person that stirs the pot. In, in the McConnell household, we talk about fishing. Somebody throws out a lure and they're trying to get somebody to bite. Tucker's masterful at this. But it's the idea that you get in a group of people, you're always trying to see if you can get somebody, somebody to, to get riled up, or somebody to get agitated, or somebody to respond, somebody to react. So, especially at our household, not, not my household, but my family's household, my parents' household, you'll get people there and they'll, and they'll, they'll throw that lure out there and they'll kind of play with that lure and then somebody won't give them a reaction, response that they want, so they'll, they'll pull that thing in, they'll change that lure and they'll go back to fishing. And they're just going to keep on fishing until somebody bites. You have those kind of people in this world, you know, where they always are trying to push buttons. They're always trying to say something um, that's going to get a response or reaction. They're always trying to get somebody's goat, if you will. We shouldn't do that when it comes to those that we're trying to lead to the Lord. And Paul makes it very clear that parents, you shouldn't be out there just trying to poke buttons on your kids just because you want to watch the response. You shouldn't be going around and just needling on your children just because you can. Just because you're their parent and just because you're in a position of authority, just because you have a position of power and you've just a position of say-so in the home doesn't mean you should go around and needlessly try to indenture them or to abuse them or to get them to be angry at you just so that you can get a laugh or a kick. Why? Because that's not your job. That's what God puts you on this earth for. That's not what God, that's not why God entrusted you with children. 
He says, if you go on there in verse 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying is that discipleship begins in the home. You want your child to learn what it looks like to follow after God? It begins in the home. You want your child to learn what it looks like to read his Bible, to pray to God, to be obedient to God, to follow the word of God, to understand the things of God, to study the things of God and apply the things of God? It starts in the home. You want to know where your children learn how to base their spiritual foundation and their spiritual roots? It begins in the home. But we have too many parents today. We have too many adults today. We have too many families today. They never do anything spiritually in the home and they only do it at church and they wonder why their children have no connection with God. Oh, this is so key and this is so foundation when you think about the demise that is plaguing the church today. We have so many people with a superficial relationship with God and then we wonder why the church is in decay and decline and the church is so weak. Everybody looks the part when they come in here. But nobody plays the part when they go out there. And we have these children that we've trained to say the right thing and do the right thing when they're here because they're watching us and they're seeing us. But there's no relationship with God out there. And so Paul makes it very clear that fathers do not provoke your children anger but but bring them up in the discipline, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He is saying discipleship begins in the home and instruction, instruction you see there in your notes is a parental responsibility. It's a parental responsibility. How are my children to learn how to grow up to be young, godly men? It's not going to be because of the schoolhouse. It's not going to be because of the church house. It's going to be because of my house. Can they not learn outside of my house? Absolutely. But where is the chief responsibility for the admonition and the growing and the edification of the children? It's in the home. We have opted that out for far too long and we have put that off for far too long. I remember when Common Core Math came out. Oh my goodness. The howling that went on. Oh, we can't believe they're doing math this new way. We can't believe they're doing it like this. And I'm thinking to myself, why can't you teach your child a different way? So your child goes to school. The teacher says, well, this is the way I have to teach you, blah, 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 blah. They come home. They're like, mom and dad, I don't understand it. And you sit down there at the kitchen table and you say, okay, junior, let me show you. Two plus two doesn't equal five. It equals four. Why can't you teach them at home? Or they come to school and say, mama, daddy, Johnny said this. Well, no. Junior, that's not correct because the Bible says that. Well, you know, the teacher said in school today about evolution and the missing link. And we're all from monkeys. No, Junior. That's what the teacher may teach, but that's what God's Word teaches. And you sit there in the home, and not only do you disciple your children, but you instruct your children because that is your responsibility. You mean my responsibility isn't to sit and hold down the recliner? No. I mean, my responsibility is not to be caught up on the Gilmore girls. No. I mean, my responsibility is not to make sure they have every single possession they could ever want and they have every video game at their disposal in their room that they can play 24-7. Nope. You mean, my responsibility is not to have the trendiest clothes on them or have the nicest vehicle to take them back and forth to school in. Nope. You mean my chief responsibility is to teach them to love God and fear God and serve God? Yes. 
for so many times we have gotten that out of whack. As the story unfolds in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Veruca Salt has her father worked up in a frenzy and he has all these people that are bringing in boxes and boxes of candy bars and they're free refurbishly opening these candy bars looking for that golden ticket. And then you have Charlie in the picture that he finds some money there in a grate, ends up buying a loaf of bread, comes home to his two sets of bedridden grandparents and his mother that's doing laundry in the evenings to make the, make the ends meet in the home and the whole family is elated because he has a loaf of bread. Contentment is not a matter of the possessions that you have. Contentment is a matter of the possessions that have you. And if God has you, then that can be enough. So he tells us, he tells us this idea of parents who are looking to God. So it's not me looking around and saying, well, they've got that and they've got that and I've got to look like them and I've got to be this. And if my child isn't doing this and I'm a failure, if my children isn't engaged in that activity, then I'm falling behind. If my children aren't, aren't looking like these other children, if we're not involved in these activities, then we are messing up. No, a child is sitting there seeing a parent that is looking to God because they understand that parental success is not measured in decades. Not what my child's going to be when he goes to college. Not what my child's going to be when he gets that athletic scholarship that won't ever come. What my success, my measure of success is not measured in decades but in millenniums. Because in a thousand years from now, those genes and that education, it won't matter. Because the only thing that will matter that day is where your child is for an eternity. Now I'm not saying that you and I can forcefully go in and make them make a decision. We're not those kind of religions. But I can tell you that what they're going to know about God, they're going to begin to learn in the home. What they're going to believe about God, they're going to begin to see in the home. And how many parents led their children away from God Because the children saw hypocrisy when it came to God and the witness of their parents. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I believe this is a church issue. I believe this is a a whole community issue because this isn't just about one child. This is about all of our children. This isn't just about one family. This is about all of our families. And Paul is coming into this picture and he's saying, you need to remember that God has a design. He has a picture for the marriage. He has a design for the home. And it's when we corrupt these, when we misuse these, when we tear ourselves away from these. And the demise and the destruction will come. So how do we know? How do we know if we're growing in our faith? How do we know if we're moving forward? Now, we have this design, and I know, quite honestly, this is not a perfect picture for every single one of us. Every single one of us have missed it. Every single one of us have made mistakes. Not every single one of us in this room, or probably any of us in this room, can say, oh yeah, we always get it right. But how do we know if we are moving forward and growing towards God? Well, i got three measurement tools, if you will, right there at the bottom that we can take from this passage this morning. The first one is this. A biblical view of the family is crucial. A biblical view of the family is crucial. It is imperative that when we think about what the family is to look like, be like, talk like, when we think about the priorities of the home and the family, it must begin with a foundation that's rooted in God's Word. 
if we root this thing in Spock or therapy or the mishmash of social sciences that are out there today when it comes to behavioral health and mental health and all of these sciences out there that are pseudosciences that say that we know the right way to get your child to behave. I'm going to tell you the right way to get your child to behave is the canoe method. You heard about the canoe method? Paddle from behind to keep it going straight. <laughs> we need canoe methods. But the world out there is trying to say, oh no, we have an answer for everything. We have a medication for everything. We have an adjustment for everything. We have an IEP for everything. We have all of this figured out. But what we don't have figured out is what is the biblical view of the family. And that's crucial. The second way we can ask ourselves if we're growing towards God is that we understand that God's design must be our goal. So the design that God has for us, not my design, not your design, not media's design, not our government's design, not our culture's design, not what our school administration's design, none of those designs. What is God's design? And that must be our goal. I want to look like that. You go into the haircutting place and there's pictures all up on the wall. People go in. Or they'll have magazines that are sitting there and you go in and the magazines will be there where they have the different hairstyles in there. So you pull the hairstyle out and you're like, oh, I want that hairstyle. Who goes into the haircutting place looking for a haircut in a magazine? I just has never understood. But I go down there into pro, pro cuts down there in Ardmore and there's four or five magazines. There's pictures on the wall. And I wonder how many times does a person come in and say, I want to look like that. You may say, well, why in the world did anybody do that? Well, why do we do that with our lives? I want to like this figure. I want to act like that figure. I want to look like this person. I want to have a house like that person. Nobody does that anymore. So why do they have MTV cribs? Why do they sell sports jerseys? Why do they have all of these things that point to someone else? Because we are always trying to look like, talk like, be like somebody else. Why not be like God? And then this last one and we'll be done. Submission begins with you. If we want our children to submit themselves to their parents and ultimately to God, we want our parents to submit themselves to God so they may correctly lead their children. When we want to see a community that is submitting its lives to God, when we want to see a congregation that is submitting themselves to God, when we see an entire population of lost people outside of these walls that are lost in their sin, and if they were to die in their sin, will spend an eternity in hell, and we see this going on, and we say, ho-hum, they need to get right with Jesus before it's too late, but yet we have the answer, we have the gospel, we have the good news to tell them that because of their sin, there is a Savior and there's forgiveness of their sin, and we have all this that we want them to do when we see neighbors and we see people around us that are living in ways, making decisions, doing things that are antithetical to the Word of God, doing things that are not in step with the word of God and doing things that are rebellion to God and we're seeing all these things happen and we are sitting in our homes and going oh they shouldn't do that and yet we miss that if we are expecting everyone else in this world to get right with God it starts with us I don't know your sin 
I don't know your failures. But I know there's not a perfect person in this room. And, and I know what it's like to put on the face. I know what it's like to resist the conviction. I know what it's like to play the part. But I want to plead with you this morning that when it comes to God's picture for our marriages or even God's design for the home or even God's desire to see a people come to Him. It begins with us. Mo talked again this morning in Sunday school about having no guile. No deceit. No sin in your life. Having that kind of desire like It was said of Job that he was a blameless man, upright man, walked with God. The same thing they talked about Noah, that he was a blameless man, an upright man, walked with God. Talks about Enoch, that he walked with God and was not, for he was taken. Elijah, that was taken up in the chariots of fire. We have these examples of men and even women that were exemplary in their faith and their following of God. They lived lives that were models for us of what it looks like to follow God's design for their lives. And then we ask, what does that look like for you? See, sometimes we come to this passage and we just assume, well, this has to do with parents and children, so we get to check out. No, submission is an issue for everyone. Submission was the issue in Genesis 3 in the garden. Submission will be the issue at the end of the book of Revelation when all of these things come to pass. When the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God. Submission is from Genesis all the way down through Revelation. So the question I have for you this morning, whether you are a child, whether you are a parent, whether you are a grandparent, whether you are an adult, whatever your stage in life is at, what does your submission look like? Are you submitted to God this morning? Children, are you submitted to God by your obedience and your honor to your parents? Parents, are you submitted to God by your leadership and your example in the home? Brother and sister, are you submitted to God by your relationship and fellowship with God and His people? God has designed the home point to him which direction is your home pointing to today bow your heads with me